From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Some recent international research involving a scientist at Upstate is giving new insight into the biology behind attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Here to help us understand the research is Dr. Stephen Perone. He's a distinguished professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences and a professor of neuroscience and physiology. And I thank you for coming on HealthLink on Air. Thanks for having me. Now, this was a paper published in the journal Nature Genetics. Is it oversimplifying to say you and your research colleagues found genes that cause ADHD? No, that's that's a good synopsis. It's a little close. Uh, we we discovered uh, locations on the on the on our chromosomes, locations in the DNA that have um, spots that are uh, co- we think causal for ADHD. And some of them aren't would be in genes or near genes, but others may be in what we call regulatory regions, parts of the genome that aren't actually genes, but regulate other genes. And for this research, you looked at a lot of people. It, we right? About 50,000 uh, people with and without ADHD it was a big international effort that I've been coordinating for about two decades. So it took quite a long time to build a big enough sample to get these data. But it's uh, it's gotten the attention of everyone, too, because of that, because you have such a huge sample. And Well, exactly. And it's the first really solid finding that we have molecular data supporting the inheritance of ADHD. We'd known for many years that ADHD runs in families, that if one identical twin has ADHD, there's a big high risk for the other identical twin. So there were, there were a lot of clues that um, genes played a very important role in ADHD, but now we've confirmed it with these molecular data. Okay. So these genetic variants, they they increase your risk or they or they guarantee that you're going to have ADHD? Uh, good question. They, they increase your risk. So they, and they're only, the 12 that are confirmed are just the tip of the iceberg. We were able oh. to do other analyses. Uh, the mathematics are complex, but basically what it tells us is that in addition to these 12, there, there must be hundreds, if not thousands, of other locations on the chromosome that also increase risk, each very, in a very small way. So the... ADHD genes, if you will, or the risk variants we found, are carried by lots of people in the population. You have to have lots of them to have ADHD. If you have a a few of them, you might have a mild version of ADHD, but you wouldn't have ADHD. So the more risk variants you have, the the more likely or the more increased risk you have. Exactly. And of course, those combine with environmental risks to uh, bring a person to having ADHD. So do people with ADHD have all of these variants? Uh, no, um, we don't know exactly how many are needed and how many environmental risks are required. That will take a long time to work out. It's believed that if you have a subset of these variants, uh, you can develop ADHD. Okay. Does this um, does your work offer proof that someone with ADHD can pass that disorder on to his or her children, or did we already know that? Well, we already knew that, but this this shows for sure that it's due to genetic inheritance as opposed to, uh, for example factors that are transmitted by parents that are le- through learning or culture and so forth. Okay. And and you've uh, found 12 variants, but there's suspicion that there's many more. Right. Because we, we subject our tests to very stringent tests of what we call statistical significance, and only 12 of them met those criteria because they're very stringent. If we were to double our sample size, we probably would get, actually not just 12, we'd probably get as many as 50. And so wow. it's really a question of statistics and getting bigger numbers of uh, of um, samples be able to discover more variants. So what can you tell us about these 12 variants that are involved so far? What are their roles or like what do they what do? They do? What are they well, responsible what's for? what's most interesting about these variants is that uh, in the 1990s, a group of us sat down and we brainstormed what we thought would be the important uh, genes for ADHD. 
based on what we knew then about the biology of the disorder. And most of what we knew was based upon the drugs that are effective for treating the disorder, which work in dopamine and norepinephrine circuits. So we proposed a list of about 50, 50 genes, and it turns out that none of them were in the top 12 that we found. And so what's, what is exciting about that is we're discovering new biological mechanisms that uh, underlie the disorder and that may at some point, not, not in the near future, but in the more distant future, provide us new targets for drug development and more efficacious treatments and even possibly prevention in the long term. Um, are these genes connected to other disorders or is it just uh, ADHD? No, they are connected to other disorders. So we've suspected for a long time from epidemiologic data and clinical data that ADHD and other disorders share risk factors. And what we've done now in our big psychiatric genetics consortium is to show that ADHD shares genes with other disorders, for example, depression, autism, uh, bipolar disorder, and even some with schizophrenia. So there seems to be a general, if you will, genetic risk for mental illness that then gets uh, translated into specific disorders depending upon environmental risks and other genetic risks that a person carries. Interesting. Um, this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Professor Stephen Ferrone about the genetic risk for ADHD or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So let's put into perspective how many people are affected by ADHD. Um, it, it, tell me if this is correct. Uh, boys are four times more prevalent or more chance of having it yes. than girls. Um, and up to 5% of children and teens are affected. Up to 2.5% of adults are affected. So does it get better as a person ages? Well, what or? happens is that as a person with ADHD ages, uh, there's what we call age-dependent remission. So that as a person gets older, the, their ADHD has some probability of remitting. So by age, say, 25, only two-thirds of people who had ADHD as children will continue to have uh, impairing symptoms of the disorder as, as adults. And as, as they get even a little bit older, you find some more remission. That remission tends to be related to uh, some changes in the brain. For example, uh, we, we, we see that the brains of ADHD children tend to show deficits in certain areas in terms of, of smaller brain volumes. They're not so small that a, a radiologist would be worried about it if he saw it on a, on a film, uh, but they're, they're small when compared to groups of non-ADHD kids. Those differences attenuate as, as ADHD kids get older, and in the children who remit, they tend to attenuate faster. Can you predict uh, which child is going to see a remission? And uh, Not yet. It's a goal of ongoing research to try to predict that. We don't can't do it yet. Can no. you tell me how ADHD is diagnosed and then how it's treated? Currently? Sure. It's, it's diagnosed by a uh, pediatrician or a mental health clinician, psychiatrist, psychologist, who follows a, a very strict set of rules in our diagnostic manual. Uh, for a child, it involves asking the parent about a set of symptoms that involve inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity. If the child has enough of those symptoms and shows uh, an, an impairing disorder for at least six months, they have the diagnosis. Okay. And of course, we could also diagnose adults, but we then talk to the adult directly. Sure. And then having ADHD, uh, that increases your risks for some other things as well, right? It does. So ADHD is a predictor of the subsequent onset of other disorders. Uh, substance use disorder is probably the, one of the worst comorbidities that they can have in terms of uh, affecting life course. Uh, but ADHD kids are also at risk for subsequent depression and bipolar disorder. Even some, we're discovering now some uh, what we call somatic comorbidities, things like hypertension, um, obesity, 
These are associated with ADHD. Disorders associated with inflammation like uh, asthma and eczema are also associated with ADHD. Now, this is not to say that every ADHD child is, at, is gonna have all these disorders, or even any one of them, but on average, probably about 30% or more these kids will have an, at least one of these, one or more of these disorders, and that's something for the providers or the doctors to be aware of. Absolutely, to, absolutely. Okay. So, if ADHD um, is a mental disorder, what does it have to do with impulsivity and inattention in the general population? Well, what we think now is that uh, ADHD is a continuous, continuously varying trait in the population. We know that from the genetic data, for example, I've mentioned there are hundreds of thousands of genes, so that everybody carries some genetic risk for ADHD. When we've done genetic studies comparing the genetics of ADHD in um, people diagnosed with the disorder, and then we look at kids in the population and just look at ADHD symptoms, we find that variation in symptoms is essentially predicted by the same genes as the disorder. So we think of it more as, more like we think of hypertension. Everybody has a blood pressure, but some people have high blood pressure, it needs to be treated. So everybody has a, some touch of ADHD, but only some people have high enough ADHD to diagnosed. require treatment and diagnosis. Okay. So what did you find out about educational performance in people who do not have ADHD but do have these genetic variants? Well, we were able to do a number of, of clever studies. Where we can, we, what we do is correlate the genetics of ADHD with the genetics of other conditions. And one of those was educational performance. So the way to think of this is we did this big study of ADHD. Someone else did a big study of educational performance. And we looked at to see whether the same genes were driving the, those two situations. And what we found was that genes that were predictive of low educational performance were the same genes that were predictive of having ADHD, essentially. And you did that also for obesity and type 2 diabetes? And the same finding for obesity and type 2 diabetes, that there's this genetic overlap, that genes that increase risk for obesity also increase risk for ADHD and vice versa. So is it possible that's a coincidence, or are they connected? Or no, it's not a coincidence, because that's the value of statistics. We can show with statistical analysis that it's not by chance, not just okay. as it's, it's actually a, what we think is the shared underlying biology that is driving the expression of these two disorders. Both. Wow. Yeah. Well, now that we know which genes are involved, or some of the genes that are mm -hmm. involved, um, what's next? What do we do next? Well, we, uh, number one, we try to collect more samples of people with ADHD that can provide us with DNA to, to discover more genes. We use the data we have right now to explore the biological pathways that are implicated. Um, I have some colleagues, for example, who are working on trying to use these data to identify uh, new targets for drug development that they or drug companies might use to try to find a better treatment for the disorder. Do you have theories about um, environmental factors that may be involved too? Um, uh, sure. So we know from other studies that have been done that uh, environmental factors, particularly those that occur very early in development, when I mean early, I mean when the child is a fetus. So for example, if the mother is drinking too much during pregnancy, smoking during pregnancy, um, if the child experiences birth complications that cut off oxygen to the brain, things like this are also increase the risk for ADHD to a small degree. They, like, the, like the actual genes, they, they, each of these risks is a small incremental effect on the disorder. Now these home genetic test kits are popular, and I don't know if any of the ones that are out there test for these particular variants yet, but inevitably someone could go and get a genetic screening or their genome right. done. Um, is there anything you can recommend to people that find out they have one or more of these particular variants? 
um, is my recommendation is don't worry because these variants are not predictive of the diagnosis in the sense of being able to accurately say who does and doesn't have ADHD. When we say they're associated with the disorder, we know that they're part of the causal chain, but that's different from saying we can accurately predict who has it. That's the goal, actually, of some of my ongoing research here, to try to improve uh, our methodology so that we can someday predict from genetic data who does have the disorder, but it's much too soon for that. And there's nothing to be done that a person can do to, to prevent it from developing if it's going to develop? We don't know what to tell them yet? Uh, no, we do. I mean, if a parent was concerned, for example, if it's, let's say a parent has a preschool child who had some symptoms of ADHD and they went to the pediatrician, the pediatrician might tell them, uh, well, you know, your child is kind of looks like they might develop ADHD based upon the symptoms, not genetics. Mm -hmm. And they would make some suggestions as to how they could do use certain kinds of parenting skills or parenting programs to help control the child's behavior at, at that very early stage. And that may help, um, if you will, either prevent the disorder or delay its onset. And that's something that we're already able to offer. That we can offer, exactly. So the, the, having this, the, the genetics is fascinating from the point of view of scientists trying to learn more and eventually develop treatments, but parents should focus on the child's behaviors and where they have problems and deal with it that way. So knowing that there's some genetic um, roots to this disorder, mm -hmm. um, how does that apply to parents who have a child with ADHD? Well, it tells the parents that the disorder of ADHD is a disorder that is driven by biological factors. Uh, for many, many years, parents have been blamed by uh, the people in the media, people who have uh, other agendas. Uh, they've said parents are causing ADHD, they're poor parents, the teachers are not good teachers, and that if we could only have better parents and better teachers, this disorder would exist. We've had people claim ADHD is an American disorder created by pharmaceutical companies to sell drugs. And we know now from these genetic data that there's a cl there are clear biological roots in the DNA that are in part causing the disorder. ADHD is diagnosed worldwide though, right? It's, it's, di it's actually diagnosed worldwide. Even though you hear claims that it's due to American culture, anywhere you go, anywhere anyone's looked for ADHD, they found it at about the same prevalence as we have it in the United States. And your study is an international study. You well, exactly. So we have sites in Europe, Scandinavia, South America, China, um, anywhere you look for ADHD, it's there and it's it, you find the same uh, inheritance of the disorder around the world. Do you see a time when children would be screened for these variants at birth, say? It's a long way off. It would be my dream that, you know, maybe 50 years from now we'd be able to have enough information to say that we have a good and accurate screening test that would be useful for doctors. Yeah. And then the doctors would hopefully be able to offer something to do or to intervene. That's in right. Some way. That's right. Then, and that would be. It would also be useful for researchers. So, if researchers could predict who's at high risk, then those researchers could actually study preventive programs to see to try to prevent the disorder in the future. And then, then we'd have a whole. My my dream, which I won't see, but a hundred years from now, that we'll actually have preventive treatments for psychiatric conditions because once they once they occur, we can help people, but we can't cure them. And I think the only way to actually stop them is to prevent them before they to start. To prevent it. Well, this has been very in informative. Thank you for being here. My guest has been Upstate Professor Stephen Ferrone. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.